This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Hey everybody, welcome back to Educational Triage. This is Tony and I am, of course, joined by my great and gracious friend, Philip. Aloha, hello. The other day, the Washington Post published a perspective by Valerie Strauss, who's one of their uh, staff writers, and it was called The Basic Rights That Teachers Don't Have. Now, the interesting thing about this one, it's based on research done by Matthew A. Croft of Brown University and Melissa Arnold Lyon from University at Albany. And it was called The Rise and Fall of the Teaching Profession, Prestige, Interest, Preparation, and Satisfaction Over the Last Half Century. Now, that one, of course, was based upon uh, The Right to Teach by Joshua Weishart, which came out last year. And just, just to kind of help follow the flow, Weishart wrote his, It's More of a Descriptor. In 1969, there was an essay written by Diane, and I'm going to butcher her name because I'm not good at it, but I want to say it's Pavlich. And she talked about teachers as being sort of semi-professionals. They're not really professionals. They're not seen as professionals. And then later in 1975, Lordy wrote his paper, which was entitled School Teacher, I believe that was the title of it, in which he said that teachers are pseudo-professionals or semi-professionals as well. So if you take a look at where people are coming from as far as viewing teachers, Weissart talks about how teachers have become pawns, that teachers are the they're the ones who receive the book of the rotten fruit that's thrown about education. Everything that's wrong with education must be the teachers. They're not looking at the school boards. And in a great number of districts, school boards dictate the curriculum. Think about that. School boards dictate the curriculum. They are not educators. They are elected officials trying to get in their foot in for another position, many, as far as being electable and having that experience to get them up to maybe representative or something like that for the state. 
Yeah, there's also another implication coming into view here too. Um, okay. the, the pandemic age and the heat coming down from that group of people that are somewhat volatile, not to connect that any dots, I'm not doing that, but that showing up at school board meetings and um, making a big thing about CRT or something in particular, I don't know, uh, uh, a, a, a book or two that seems to be exemplifying something that's not desirable. That puts a focus on uh, an issue in a district, which makes that issue then hypersensitive. And then the school board doesn't want to mess with that. Administration mm -hmm. doesn't want to mess with it. So they just as soon just comply with that that small vocal political stance. Sometimes and that's being used by um, political groups to, right. to get things right. done, quite frankly. Yeah, that as well. Yeah. Right. Education has become almost a bully pulpit. Yep. For a lot of people. Correct. Yeah. And teachers are caught in the crosshairs. Yeah, they sure are. Because they're the frontline workers, but they're also the ones who know what it is that they're teaching. For example, um, there was a teacher trying to teach about the Electrical College in Iowa. And mm -hmm. then some people saying, hey, wait, this election was stolen. And that all of a sudden became a very controversial topic. And so school board meetings became inundated with the complaints about this teaching of the of the electoral college. And so there was a lot of pressure to shut this class down when before this had been taught year after year after year, as it should be. And uh, there was a lot of pressure. They did not cave, but there was a lot of vocal pressure at the school boards and they were considering having him just leave it out of his units. And he said, no, this is important stuff. This is you can't not teach about the Electoral College in a political science course. Yeah, so. of course, when you're talking about the United States, because we are <laughs> not a we're not built on democracy. Yeah. yeah, democracy is a tool that we use for our republic. Mm. So they, they were about ready to go. Look, we're getting so much heat here. We'll just soon just leave it out, would you? You know, we're going to ban you from teaching that. Mm -hmm. they had to, but you're right. A lot of times they will not side with the teacher. They will not do it. They would just soon say, don't teach that. And they have. A lot of that, that sex ed stuff has gone away. And, and frank talk has, worse yet, it goes away because people dare not talk sometimes about certain things because of the implication of outside pressure. It's not that they are sure they may receive, a teacher may receive pressure from maybe wanting to teach a course. They might feel they could feel that pressure, so they just as soon won't try to teach it. Whereas I, I used to teach black history, African-American history. I don't know if I would even ask, you know, in this day and age. Right. Ugh. Really, honestly, that's, that's code for CRT. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe right. it depends. It depends. Right. Yeah. It depends on whether or not you're talking to somebody who's rational. Yeah, true. Yes, good point. But because truly, you have, true, yeah. because on both sides of the issue, mm -hmm. you would find a battlefield. It yeah. wouldn't matter. It's changed too. I would say that I could teach history and put in both of them, but then again, you'd find that to be insidious, possibly too. Somebody would. But I believe that. In previous episodes, you've talked about CRT and the fact that they aren't teaching 
actual CRT (laughs) in the classroom. And so it's become one of those loaded buzzwords that everybody likes to do because the media, as we know, likes to gin people up. And so if I can gin you up and I can and I can just sort of hint that there might be the faintest whiff that this is happening, I can yeah. get a really good story out of a school board meeting. Which scares the heck out of me as a teacher. It's like, I just want to teach well. I just, I don't want to be the whiff of someone's school board. And this is the point of every single paper that's been written. Every teacher, probably about a good 88 to 90 some odd percent of teachers, that's all they want to do. They want to go in, they want to teach the material, mm-hmm. make sure that the kids are safe, make sure that everything is taken care of, and go. But no. So let's break this down into the different parts that craft uh, and Lion talk about, being prestige, interest, preparation, and satisfaction. Mm, okay. Over the last 50 years. And I think it's really kind of interesting because, yeah, there's an ebb and a flow of how this goes. But by the same token, you know, people say, well, if we paid teachers more, things wouldn't be so bad. And I'm thinking it doesn't matter what you're paying a teacher. If you tell them that they have to swim through a dung pile with their mouth wide open. Mm -hmm without the proper gear, only to tell them at the very end, oh, you did it wrong, you didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it, go back and do it again, then there's, it's, it, there's, there, there are instances of humiliation for teachers. They're not treated as actual professionals in the first place. So let's talk about the prestige. Yeah, prestige. Now, you go to a party and people ask you, Philip, what is it that you do? And you tell them. I tell them I'm a teacher. Usually. What kind of teacher? Oh, God. I always like to try to avoid that question. I say I'm an alternative education teacher. Oh, what does that mean, alternative education? Do you work with the bad kids? That must be really challenging. Aren't you afraid for your life? I said, well, after you kill one of them in front of the rest of them, they <laughs> rarely resist you. <laughs> no, I say, I say, you know, the college, high school we went to, did you go to the high school I went to where the bell rang, we got up and went from one class to another and we had lockers and cheer squads and the whole nine. They go, yeah, I go, those kids that went to that, they can't stand that. They didn't fit that. Mm-hmm. You know, those kids came to us and, and we had a school that, you know, fit them. I go, we had teen parents. You know that's where they went and, and we had we had also had gang bangers but we also had you know nerd geniuses and and kids who were just couldn't take the crowds and kids who just didn't want to take the crowds and and we had a good program that was small and and we taught them all the skills and they stayed with us for years and it was really quite a good way in fact i would say it was the way to teach keep schools small that way and, and i said so it was a really good experience and, and um yeah and they got also taught kids who were adjudicated. And so, yeah, it, it was just different ways of educating kids. Same kids, just different ways of doing it. That's oh, I it. don't know that I could handle that, Philip, because it sounds like it would be really intense. Do they give you a gun? 
Do you have walkie-talkies? <laughs> say, How no, do you know that you're safe? That's it. They, but we developed the relationship, believe me. And then I tell the story about the kid who called me from jail. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the best one ever. Like, I'm your phone call. <laughs> okay. Why? He goes, well, I'm going to be kicked out of the program. I go, well, consider yourself not kicked out of the program. <laughs> Give me two or three phone numbers you want me to call. And I did. Yeah. I said that they were committed and I was committed to them. By the time you get that relationship, mm-hmm. it's just their kids. But yeah. But it's just, yeah. But there wasn't prestige. It used to be, I remember growing up, you know, teachers and doctors and lawyers were the three majors. Engineers were in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know what a biochemist was, but you know, I didn't know if anybody worked for NASA, I'd salute them. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. If you lived in my neighborhood, I lived on the same block as the owner of the Portland Beavers at one time, who moved out of this big house. They had 14 kids. No, wow. no kidding. Yeah. They moved out of the house and in moved in the, the head of infectious disease research at the University of Oregon. For a while wow and it was a middle-class neighborhood you know it wasn't like you know wow it was a big house they were middle-class houses and people had you know great careers my dad was a jobber for shell oil you know mm-hmm. and but it was prestigious i mean that was less that had prestige to it and teachers were you know that was a proud profession it was a profession uh, it was a female profession for the most part until you got into high school and then it was a mix of both but yeah, there was a, there was some prestige to it, and that has gone away. There's people. A lot of people think, oh, anybody can do that job. They think, you know, all you got to do is just keep kids in line. Well, I think you have the politicians who talk big about education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how hard can it be? I mean, I was in a classroom. I could teach. Ah. But I have this to say. Yeah, all of us have been through the first grade, but few of us are equipped to teach it. <laughs> you have to be, you have to do mental gymnastics. Oh, I, I did it today for mm-hmm. half a day. And it's like, oh, I, they loved me. And I don't know why I go, why? I go, I was mean. <laughs> it was horrifying. It's because yeah. you cared. But- it's true, but yeah. But no, the prestige, the prestige, I think people have become focused on how much money do you make per year? They do. It's no longer, it no longer has to do with the content of, well, I kind of wanted to say content of your character. It had, it has not as much to do with what you, what talents you possess in a sense because attorneys were not these heavy hitters financially people didn't really care that much they did a little bit about how much money you had but that didn't happen until genuine probably generation x what's the generation that came after the boomers oh they they wanted to call them x i think they're called x but i think they changed their name I think it started happening towards the end of the boomers and with their kids because all of a sudden you yeah. started seeing well, all the you started seeing all no, the articles about I can, I can about take you the, back on that. I can what's take that? You, I can take you back. I can take I can I can give you more accurate depiction. I think it's the boomers. Here's why I say that. Because the doctor that became the head of uh, infectious diseases all he was he came from Tennessee 
and he came out he came out here to make a difference i remember that he was kind of middle classy mm-hmm. now i have a, another story about a, a colleague of ours who's a little younger maybe you're right he was an exer he may be right but he came from back east he was a doctor a research doctor he went back to school to get a sort of a practice going mm-hmm. and then also got a business degree business and then got a practice and became very wealthy from that practice. Very wealthy and very wealthy from the business part of it, not the medical part of it. Right. And now he's married to a medical doctor who didn't make so much money. She made a good living, but it wasn't because, you know, she made the business part of it. She was a practicing doctor. And so that's fascinating. Yeah, they were very, very wealthy because of his business practice in, and not his medical practice. She didn't make she made six figures, but nothing like he made because of his business. In the- right. But that doesn't have anything to do with teachers. Well, but it does because my doctor that was the infectious disease guy stayed middle class and teachers started to lose. We, we were losing forever because of the budget fight and the politicalization of the whole career. But exactly. That's yeah. Exactly. We've been losing while doctors sort of been gaining anyway, but they stayed middle classy unless they turned to business mm-hmm. and the business of medicine, the business of everything is where the money is. And that's what you said. It's, it's based on the money you make and everyone worships the money you make. And that's where business is at making money. Right. And you have more of the altruistic people staying in education, except you have such a high turnover rate within the first three to five years Mm -hmm. of education. You cannot keep men in education for very long because it's unsustainable if they need to support a family. Yeah, it's just not a sustainable wage. I've known teachers who work three jobs on the side. After a master's degree? Yes. Yeah, that. How does that work? I mean, that that doesn't make any sense to anybody anywhere. Well, no. I mean, because you don't make that much money. Yeah, I'm not going to spend that much money to get a master's degree to work two jobs. I might as well become an actor. But then, you know, there was. I remember when I lived in Berkeley, I was talking to a guy because I worked when I was going to school in Berkeley. I worked at the Seven Eleven over in Albany. And this guy came in and he was a paper, he, he delivered papers. And we were talking and he had two master's degrees. And I said, so why are you delivering papers? He said, I can't find a job. And this is in the early 80s when unemployment rates were way up. Yeah. And he said, I'm making ends meet because I have three or four routes. But still, you would think that I could do something with my master's. As my mother said, just because you have the degree doesn't mean it's going to do anything for you. It gives you a ticket to play the game. It's how you play the game with that ticket. Right. That's going to make the difference. So you have all these people then who then go into administration and many of them after maybe only one or two years, and many of them are mediocre. Some of them are fantastic. Some of them are abhorrent. <laughs> And odious, but odious. but it, it, what we need to focus in on are the teachers. And so there used to be people used to 
say to me, because I would tell them I was an English teacher, because I began as an English teacher before I started teaching drama and choir and music and Latin and Spanish and French and ESL and geometry and algebra one. Came and, up a very diverse way. I just came you know, to that. Before I, before I ended up teaching all these, all of this. Yeah. So, I can see social studies and kind of explode in different other ways. Yeah. <laughs> well, I taught all kinds of social sciences too. Yeah, talking to this. And then I started going like Spanish, Latin, <laughs> choir, <laughs> quantum. No, I did actually start taught quantum. I mean, there there are a few teach few classes that I won't touch, but by the same token, there are people who are so they don't care about that. They don't care about that. What they want is that you toe the line and you do things in a specific way. Don't hire so me. So even among <laughs> teachers, there's a hierarchy among teachers, and I hate to say it. But I don't know how it is in every building. I know that when I taught in this one wealthier suburban district, that there was a hierarchy within my department. And when my department chair walked into my classroom and the kids were laughing, we were having a great time, we were studying Joyce, we were, we'd gone through a number of extra items and she looked at me and she said, what has this got to do with the test? And I said, I couldn't tell you anything about the test because nobody is willing to share the test with me. Yeah, so don't ask you. me what's on the test because they have their own end of year test for the freshmen to be able to move on to sophomore. Which they keep under wraps, by the way. And they wouldn't give me a copy of it. No. And she said, well, they're Where's not going to be able to do well on the test because they wanted multiple choice answers they had it was a multiple choice test and hardly any essay and i said what's the point aren't we yeah. teaching writing aren't we teaching reading aren't we teaching the concept to think and they were talking about memorization in fact it was so boiled down to and you felt like a cog in a wheel because you knew that on Monday you were teaching this, Tuesday you were teaching that, Wednesday you're showing this movie, Thursday, and you're just shoving the kids along. They're being processed. Right. It's yeah, it's yeah, when we speak about that, just so that the audience understands that, we're not talking about that rote, you know, teaching, here's the answers, this is the test, here's the answer. We're talking about a general flavor that everything is geared that way. Right that it sort of just ends up feeling like rigid and sort of slanted toward don't think about anything other than a four question, you know, A, B, C or D answered type thing. Yeah. So if you think about the prestige of teachers, because that was all the way back. Yeah. That's what killed. That kills your soul. Talk about that was in 89. Yeah. yeah. There are teachers that I have a great deal of respect for. Students and parents have a great deal of respect, as long as the students and the parents are getting their way. Yeah, yeah. If they're not, if you make them squeal, if you make them struggle, then, you know, you're getting into tenuous territory. But... I don't know yeah, what they're thinking is going on, however. 
but I believe that what's happened to the prestige of teaching is that you have the media that kind of says all these things about teachers, that teachers are doing this, that, 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 and it does not do anybody any good to have all these people all over TikTok doing these things on TikTok because that is the appearance of what people see. Mm-hmm. And when people see that, they question what's going on in their schools. They do. They do. There's a lot of spotlights on absurdity. Um, and they can make it up. Like I said, you know, the school board, a big flash at the school board is, is a lot of heat all at once. And you can avert that. It can avert that or avoid that um, mm-hmm. by get, get rid of the source of the heat. Just don't teach that. You know, and like you said, too, everything has definitely for it's geared backward it's it's geared toward memorization it's geared toward rote it's getting rid of thinking skills it's getting rid of innovation and well that's because what do you expect everything is based on the test how well are the students going to do on the test the the evaluations are based on the test Everything is about the test. It has nothing to do with, can my kid think? Can my kid be in, innovative and think outside of the box? What is my kid learning? Your kid is learning how to memorize, how to come up with the right answer, how to be compliant. They're not learning how to think. Concerns me greatly. I'm just thinking about all these, all these eyes on all these screens, <laughs> sort of limiting thought yet creating thought. It's. Ah, I wish I had a way to channel well, that and yet limit it at the same time. Well, if you listen to my recent conversation with Liz Keeble. Hmm on what goes on inside a student's head. They did a parallel study between uh, seven-year-olds in Africa and seven-year-olds in the United States. Now, the seven-year-olds in the U.S., they had Sesame Street, they had screen time, they had all these, they had all these technological advances. The kids in Africa, they played. The kids in Africa had far better executive reasoning skills and decision-making skills than the kids in the U.S., despite all the tech. Because the tech gets in the way because it does things to their brains. Mm. So, which also tells us that kids need to play. I mean, going back to Peter Gray, Boston College. Kids need to be able to play, and they need to be able to do these things. It doesn't matter if it's ESSA, race to the top, uh, no child left behind, whatever it is, the kids can get there if you get out of their way and take all the crap out of their hands and get rid of all the garbage. And if you just get mm. back to bare bones and give them time to interface and work you know, with each other. There's a there's a dark side to that going too. There's more and more studies they were talking about the – uh, you know, the curve of distress, the introduction of social media to, to mm-hmm. children and the rate of suicide or suicidal ideation 72%. Goes, goes like 
like a hockey stick. It goes yeah. up, like up, like boom. And right. um, people have been with these studies have been accused of like creating a sort of hysteria going, hey, no, wait a second here. Don't be going over the board here with this. This has this really severe effect on teenagers and, and young adults. And and they're saying that uh, maybe you're alarmist, but the truth is they've never seen anything have that big spike. And also this is going on. Teenagers actually are saying, whoa, I'm having thoughts of suicide or thinking about suicide mm -hmm. at a more alarming rate. That's like that hockey stick sort of high rate within about a year to a year and a half after, you know, having that access to the telephone. So it's right. looking like more and more media that, that media, uh, yeah, like the media sort okay. What am I trying to say? Social media. Yeah. Is really bad for them. Like really, really bad for them. Probably bad for us too, but terrible for teenagers and young adults. Well, they're addicted to it. Yeah. And we've already like, talked about that. Whatever it is, it's like really bad addiction so, and, and has very terrible effects on self-esteem. So the last statement I'm going to make about prestige for yeah. teachers, because then we will segue into our next one. In either North or South Dakota, I don't remember which one, it's in the Weishart paper. They did a fundraiser for teachers in a district, and then they were had a lottery or something, and the teachers went out on the ice, and they were given a certain amount of time to collect as much money as they could possibly get into their shirts or just collect it all off of the ice. And so they're out there slipping and sliding while a crowd cheered them on. And it kind of, it's it, it goes back a little bit to the Coliseum. I wouldn't and almost for a dime. And almost makes it look as though they're being ridiculed. I mean. They were being ridiculed. They were. I'm a professional. I wouldn't stoop for a dime. It's so, like, what? I wouldn't, I don't do it at a baseball game. I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do it in public. I wouldn't do it if I was starving. So let's, <laughs> let's segue yeah. into the next one. Terrible. Because of all these other pieces, yeah. the interest to go into teaching is at an all-time low, 3%. I bet. 3%. Number of parents urging their kids, maybe you should be a teacher, is way low. <laughs> yeah. If you look at the minority groups, if you look at black Americans, Latinos, if you look at any of them, hmm. they have no interest. That is at a really low rate. Nobody wants to go into teaching anymore because know. teachers are ridiculed. People just say the worst things about them. How do you get that interest back up? Because look at how much it costs to become a teacher now. You have to get a four-year degree. Then you have to get a master's degree. So already you're running into, I'm going to give an estimate of, let's say, $125,000, $130,000. So you owe that much money, and you're going to come back, and you're going to get a starting salary of thirty-five dollars to $50,000 a year. <laughs> then you have taxes, you have living expenses, you can't afford to buy a house. Um, think about all these things. And 
here's here's the other kicker. If let's say that you teach for 10 years in one district and you can't stand the administration there and you decide I'm going to jump ship and I'm going to go over to this district because they're they're courting me. They can only give you eight years of experience. So you may actually have to take a pay cut if you switch districts. Yeah, that happens. So, and if you go state to state, there was a time when I thought, oh, maybe I'm going to, this is what? I'm going to tell you that this is about 23, 24 years ago. I thought, I really miss the weather. I kind of want to go to Florida just to be in the weather. Yeah. Because, you know, I love living in South America. I would have taken a 50% pay cut. And I thought, it's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. I can't do it. I could have sold my house and I could have bought a very nice house there. But no, it just wasn't worth it. Why would I do that? So the interest for people, because people want to know that they're making an investment when they go to college, for the most part. They want to know that they're going to have some kind of money. If a teacher, because of their prestige, they don't get paid enough. Because also remember this, almost every single state has the constitutional, they have a constitutional mandate to fully fund education, public education. And yet, how many states actually fund public education? No, they don't. As much as they're supposed to. They, They put it all into a big pot. They throw everything out. All the people get their special interest. And then whatever's left over is what education gets. That's how the state feels about education. They don't care. They can tell you they care. They don't care. Mm-hmm. So how, are, how do you expect people to feel about a profession that is last on the list of priorities for even the state that claims that they care? Well, and it's expensive. And even, even if they don't care, it still costs a ton. Mm-hmm. It does. And if they were going to fully fund it, then maybe there might be some progress. But yeah. once again, they're going to hold teachers' feet to the fire because they have to have the kids meeting the test. And they're part of the social structure, like police, that have to hold up the social uh, skeletal barriers of, mm-hmm. of the poor. We have to make up for the homeless kids, the hungry kids, the traumatized kids. Right. Hey everybody, how are you doing? I'm just here to remind you to hit that subscribe button and also to share this podcast with your friends. We are now in over 41 countries around the world and we are growing. We don't always hit it right, but we still have a conversation that is relevant to the policies and what's going on now today in education and especially alternative education. So we can only grow and we can only do better if we hear back from you. So be sure to leave us a review and send us an email, educationaltriage at gmail.com. So back to our show. Yeah, you said that the kids are there 10% of the time. What are you saying? 
how much of the time, how much of the effect do we have on the kids? One to 14%. One to 14%. I say make it 10% in my brain. I'm being optimistic, I guess, saying I won't give up on that. I'll say, dang, it's not below 10. I'm stubborn. Yeah. But that's it. You know, okay, 14, 14. But yeah, so. That's at the very, that's at the very most. But if you think about it, schools are, let's take a small town. What is the central hub of a small town? School system. It's going to be the school. You've got the basketball games. You got the football games. You got the drama clubs. You got everything happening around there. And then there's the fairgrounds. Yep. And teachers are in a fishbowl. They are. So you think about that. And because teachers are in a fishbowl, there is the um, do teachers have the right to free speech? And the answer is yes. Students also have the right to free speech. But, but there's a but for everything. There's a but for everything. Yeah, there's a but for everything. Everybody has a right to free speech. However, it depends on where you are. It does. If you, if you are at work and you start espousing your beliefs mm-hmm. that are not germane to the content, mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with what you're supposed to be teaching, and you're espousing all these ideas. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with the workplace. What's going to happen? It doesn't matter if you're mm-hmm. working at Starbucks, if you are working in the school, if you're working in a law firm. Chances are nothing good's going to happen. I agree. You, you know, could be released. Set and setting is really and, what it's about. Um, right. It runs. <laughs> it just. I'm sorry. I just thought of it. It's not funny. Anyway, uh, I just thought of Will Ferrell. He did a thing on Saturday Night Live where he showed up in a star-spangled diaper. <laughs> he did. He's celebrating the Fourth of July, mm-hmm. and he was in a business meeting until he had on mm-hmm. some diapers, pouring coffee, and walking around in a, in a red, white, and blue star-spangled diaper. But it was clean. They're going, "What are you doing?" He goes, "What? It's the Fourth of July." I know we have this emergency meeting. I'm just celebrating the fourth this way. It was something like that. I can't remember, but he was being uber patriotic this way, and it was clearly, it was it was very inappropriate. But <laughs> it was so Will Ferrell inappropriate. It was awesome. But it is you can't espouse your views in such a way that it's set and setting. You know, you're at school. Um, you know, you, you have certain views. You just keep them to yourself, and there's really no reason to like profess them at, at work and schools work. There was a debate on this the other day, <laughs> I want to say yesterday on either Twitter or Instagram. Yeah. And people were saying, no, you have a right to express your views. You can tell people this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. Twitter's so the best setting. Do you know what you believe and why you and why you believe it? So yeah. I, I know I why don't, I what I believe, but I don't I don't go with telling kids what I believe in or even discussing it with my colleagues because when I was in high school, I started asking questions of my social studies teacher during, during one of the election cycles. Well, absolutely. And he slammed me Mm -hmm. and he slammed me. And every day he would say something real nasty to me because I questioned his political views. Now that's not I okay. said, what about this? What about that? 
I was curious. I wanted to know. But yeah. then he decided that he was going to humiliate me. And I thought, I can't do that to a kid. So no. if a kid tells me how they want to vote, I ask them why. And then we'll go through it. And I'll say, okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate. And so I counter that. Yeah. And I had an assistant who went crazy because I did that because I should have been telling him how to vote. Oh, I said, absolutely no, not. your job is not to tell them how to vote. Mm -hmm. Your job is to have them understand why they're voting a certain way mm -hmm. and what the what the counter arguments are. That's why we have free speech so that we have the free exchange of ideas. So these are rights that the basic rights that this Washington Post writer talked about was that we don't have free speech. Well, bully for you that you work for the Washington Post and you can express your views. Yeah. But most yeah. people don't have that. But that's exactly what you do. Well, that's exactly what you with. You're in a classroom. It's not we're talking about like who's going to vote for who. Mm -hmm. We talk about how we how we support why we think that way. Right. And that we support with sound arguments and justifications that are reasoned. And that's what I'm teaching. Um, I'm not teaching how to like either ors or just name call or what about isms, you know, I'm teaching kids how to think about things and really reason it out. You know, like I used to have a sign on my, on my wall. I was very proud of it. it says, what if I'm wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, kids go, what does that mean? Summer? It says that's exactly what it means. What if you're wrong? What if I'm wrong? I always ask myself, but what if I'm wrong? Hmm. I know I think that, but what if I'm wrong? I just kind of have to stop and think that. Yeah. I heard, I heard something very interesting today. And this guy was talking and he was saying, you know, people have, people have good intentions yeah. when they are putting things forward. And so you have to assume that people have good intentions. Most people don't sit there and say, yes, <laughs> yes. People have the best of intentions. Many times the road to hell is paved with those good intentions. But they want what's best for whoever it is. So when you think about our leaders, when you think about, I mean, no. they have what they say are the best of intentions for people. So you have to take a look at things from that perspective. But we also have people who are out there throwing the terms fascism and Nazi, oh. everything that they don't like without actually understanding what the term Nazi or fascism actually means. It's actually a problem because you cannot speak to anybody about what's truly happening because it's all in an alphabet soup of communism, Nazism, socialism, Adolf Hitler, and everything worse. Right. Yeah. It's and like, so wow. teachers... Yeah. Teachers need to be able to get in there and teach these things. But since they are not on the test, yeah. <laughs> it's very difficult for them to do it. So, yeah, Which makes it more likely to occur again if you don't know anything about what happened with Adolf Hitler. You're not talking about him anymore. Mm -hmm. So if you're wondering why many private schools, the kids do better, it's not because of the money necessarily. It's because... 
they're able to not teach directly to the test, but to expound on ideas to be able to produce thinkers while using the same tools that public schools are using. And you have far more parental support behind those kids. Not always, because that would be a misnomer to say that all private school parents care. Yeah, because, because you have a lot of parents who think of school as the nine to five babysitter or the seven to four or whatever it is. That's true. So, and that's what they're supposed to do. And the kids are supposed to come out knowing something. And if they don't, then that's the teacher's fault. But you know what? No, it's not. So when you think about all these things and you think about the preparation that teachers have to go to, because if you think about it, teachers have to spend all this money and then they have to take these bloody tests so that they can teach and be licensed just like an attorney, just like a doctor, yeah, just like many of the other professions. And they have to pay for that. And they have to maintain that license by taking more classes, by doing all kinds of things. And you still don't pay them that much more. No. And you still treat them like dirt. So when you think about all the preparation that they have to have, because they need to know what's going on, Oh. Even though the tests that they take, it's generally a um, multiple choice test in many ways. Yeah, isn't that ironic? Um, and, and then, because we have a teacher shortage, because I believe that there are over 200,000 teaching positions that open up every year in the country, and there are over 3 million teachers between three and four million teachers, at least in the country, who are working. So wow. you think about this and how many of those that there are. And with a teacher shortage, they're finding alternative paths to teaching where they're telling people they only need a community college education. In some places, a high school education. Yeah. And they're going to pay them the same as a starting teacher who's already gone through all their preparation courses, their master's courses, yeah. as well as the test so that they can teach. Now, you tell me, how are you going to feel? So the whole profession. Right. And you're only some districts, they pay better than others. Some yeah. districts will pay for all of your tuition. If you wanted to get a master's, they will pay that all the way. I just left a district where they paid for three credits per year. So if you want to get a master's, you're going to have to pay a lot out of pocket. And then they'll give you a slight bump. After every 18 hours, they give you a bump of about $3,000 a year. So think about that. Now, if all teachers were paid like they were in Europe, everybody's taxes would go up <laughs> big time. God I forbid. remember I was that I had friends who were trying to talk me into moving to Geneva. My salary at that time would be approximately one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. 
But you think about that, and they also have the prestige over there. If you are a teacher, you are a professional, just like a doctor, a lawyer. But here, no, 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 no. So we have no prestige. The interest is going down. Preparation is big. The satisfaction of teachers is at an all-time low. It's in the it's in the low forties. <clears throat> wow. And in the seventies, there was something that was very similar. And then No Child Left Behind came out, and people were bam, willing to do battle to get that going. And then it happened again in the nineties, and then it happened again in the oddies. And then the pandemic hit, and everybody celebrated teachers. And then, uh, and then turned on quick. Turned on a dime, and turned on a dime, and it would. People are not happy with teachers, I know. because teachers did not give them what they wanted. But you have to remember, teachers are people. Oh yeah. And teachers can only do their job, so as well as the students who walk through. So the big question is, if you are a parent, how well do you prepare your children to learn? How well do you respect and communicate with your children's teachers? If you are at odds with the teachers, the kids know it. There's going to be disrespect. So just because you might have had a terrible time in school, why do you want your kids to suffer as much? So, teachers, parents are teachers because they help the teachers, but they are the first in line. Teachers are the ones who take them and they start helping the mold. The parent's responsibility is to continue that at home and work with them, not be on the phone, not do the modeling of what people should do by being on phone, being on the television, not being home, not being present. But teachers are there. They want your kid to do well. We really do. It's true, it's true. Every building, I go to many, many buildings. I see it everywhere. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the links down for um, this essay and also for the Annenberg paper and also for the Weishart uh, essay. It's 70 page. The Weishart is 70 pages, but it's pretty quick reading. And um, it's got most of the writing is half page because there are so many notes. Yeah, don't, don't be intimidated by 70 pages. And the Annenberg is about 68, but it's 37 of text that that you're able to get through pretty quickly. The rest of it is all just charts and notes and the surveys that they gave to different people. So it's a pretty heavy topic, don't you think, Philip? I do. I do. It's kind of bugs me. Because back in my day when I became a teacher, it um, you know, I tried to do it well. I took all mm -hmm. my courses to be well-rounded, a good knowledgeable high school level educator, you know, plus I was very curious. And so I took, you know, some courses in depth to become, you know, semi sort of expert person. And as the years went by, I became more of an expert in some topics and valued knowledge and 
curiosity and such. And now it just, it doesn't seem that people do. And it's like, no, it's important. Education's important. It's not just a, a commodity to be bought and sold. It's a thing to be owned by yourself and your soul. You know, being a lifelong learner, that being a good teacher is being a lifelong learner. And everyone should be a learner. You don't have to be a teacher, but be a learner. And if your kid did not get that A? If your, you know, if your kid didn't get that A, so what? I mean, if they got a C, I got C's. And I learned later that things happen. And I, did, I didn't light it on fire in high school. But guess what? Life's long. And I, I burned it up in, in college when I figured out how life works. So, or if you don't go to college, too, that works as well. So, are the dreams that the students have your dreams or are they their dreams? There it is. That's it. Help them with their dreams because those and, are what really go. Yeah. And if students have a purpose and they know what they're going for, then they'll do better. They'll find relevance. But yeah. as teachers, we have to figure some of that out on our own because Sometimes parents will tell us things that the students will look at us later and say, that's not true. <laughs> and as an advocate of flow, if you are passionate about your topic and you've got that purpose, you will succeed. It is inevitable. You will catch fire. Yeah. So in closing, I'm going to toss in my two cents, and that is teach teach you teach best what you most need to learn that too but yeah. you know pay attention to what it is that you're teaching don't worry about the test the test will happen if you're teaching well so start considering not what's hanging over your head but what's right in front of you and what you need to contend with and what you need to take care of that day first of all safe space for all your students and that includes you Secondly, take care of the kids. Third, subject matter will happen. Four, take yeah. brain breaks on a regular basis. Five, throw in some games. It's a great way to learn. Play. So, and then once that happens and you start enjoying yourself, and if admin comes down and tells you to stop doing it, you ask them to show you how to teach. Yes, like tell them, tell them that you're learning and that's what you're here to do. Yes. Okay, so I will say thank you, Philip. Thank you, Tony. And we will be back next week with more. Have a great week, people. Aloha.